This is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, because it was a Sunday that Jesus rode down the Mount of Olives and then rode up Mount Zion, and he did so uh, the way Abraham and Isaac did so over a thousand years before. But now, on top of the mountain, there was a city, and her name is Jerusalem. As he approached, the people cried out, Hosanna, which means please save. Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David was the prince of peace, the Messiah, the long-awaited king. The crowd chanted, but Luke records that Jesus was weeping. He was saying, would that even today you knew the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, and the days will come when your enemies will surround you and tear you down, and not one stone will be left on top of another, for you did not know the day of your visitation. So this is an incredibly ironic day, and it's a little weird that we would ask the kids to wave palm fronds, for they were originally waved by people that didn't have a clue as to what they were doing, and in just five days would be chanting, crucify, crucify, crucify. In five days, Pilate would hold an election, and they would all vote for king. And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, you don't vote for king. And even if you did vote for king, how would you know that the king or a king is the king? Who's that then? I don't know. Must be a king. Why? He hasn't got shit all over him. Old woman! Man! Ma'am, sorry. What knight lives in that castle over there? I'm 37. What? I'm 37. I'm not old. Well, I can't just call you man. You could say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Well, you didn't bother to find out, did you? I did say sorry about the old woman, but from behind you looked... What I object to is you automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, king, eh? Very nice. And how do you get that, eh? By exploiting the workers are hanging on to outdated imperialist dogma which perpetuates the economic and social differences in our society. If there's ever going to be any progress... Dennis, there's got... some lovely filth down here! Oh! How do you do? How do you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship, a self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes... Oh, there get... you go, bringing class into it again. Well, that's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, realize... please, good people, I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a civil majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is? <laughs> I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how do you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake. Her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. 
That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up! Will you shut up? Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system! Help! Help! I'm being repressed, bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? So you catch the first line. How do you know he's a king? He hasn't got poop all over him. That's how the world recognizes kings. He hasn't got poop all over him. But I would remind you that King Jesus was born not at all far from this very place that they all chanted, uh, blessed be the king, uh, blessed the king that's coming, as Luke records it. Uh, but they didn't recognize him. Uh, they didn't recognize him the day that he was, was born. Because what? Because he had poop all over him. We're all around him. Remember, he was born in a barn, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, a food truck. Well, anyway, as I was saying, on Palm Sunday, they all chanted Hosanna, blessed is the king, for they heard that he could raise the dead. They heard that he could like walk on water, but in five days, they held an election. Honestly, I think we Americans are so arrogant, we act as if ours is the first society that ever held a free election. But right here in the text, Pilate, the Roman governor, calls for a free election. He asks Jerusalem to vote for king of the Jews. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the feast of the Passover, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious or, or noteworthy prisoner called Barabbas or Barabban in, in the Greek. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, a, a strange woman, sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a, a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people, ha laos in Greek, the people answered, all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him up to be crucified. So just to be clear, ha laos, the people, voted to nail 
Ha-Adam, the Eschatos Adam, to a tree in a garden on the very spot which they believed the Garden of Eden had been located, on top of Mount Moriah, where Abraham bound Isaac and placed him on a pile of wood just before God provided a grown lamb to sacrifice in Isaac's place. In Matthew's day, ha-laos had become a technical term used to refer to the people of God, the elect of God, Judah in Jerusalem. So the elect elected Barabbas and rejected Jesus, the Christ. Many ancient manuscripts record that Barabbas had a first name, and that name was Jesus, which means, as you know, Savior, or more specifically, God is salvation. So Pilate is asking, what kind of Savior do you want? What kind of Jesus uh, do, do you want? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ, which means anointed? And remember, Jesus had just been anointed in the previous chapter by the strange woman at Simon the leper's house. Jesus called Christ anointed, or Jesus bar Abbas, or bar Aban here in the Greek. Bar means son or son of, and scholars debate what the Abbas or Aban refers to. Some argue that it refers to father. So Pilate is asking, do you want Jesus uh, son of the father? Which Jesus son of the father do you want? This one or the anointed one? Others, including some of the early church fathers, says that, say that the, that the Aban refers to, to rabbi or bar rabbi. So Jesus son of uh, the rabbi as opposed to Jesus son of, or uh, Jesus the the anointed, Jesus, son of the rabbi, or Jesus uh, anointed. I, I think that's really interesting because in Matthew, the only person that refers to Jesus as rabbi is Judas. Everybody else calls him Lord. A, a rabbi, which means teacher, dispenses the knowledge of good and evil. That's the law. But Lord means master. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says that the holy women of old, including like Abraham, uh, or, or Sarah talking to Abraham, addressed their husband as, as Lord. It's a great idea. I suggested it to my wife. She didn't think so. It's incredibly, I guess, I guess it's politically correct because that's also what a slave girl would call like her master, her, her Lord. Well, this is my point. You take knowledge of good and evil from a rabbi and apply it to your life. Like you may, might take fruit from a tree and eat it in order to feed your flesh. You take from a rabbi, but you surrender to a Lord. The way a bride might surrender to her groom on her honeymoon night in the sacrament of their covenant and bear the fruit of that communion, which is life. So as I was saying, the choice is Jesus Barabbas or Jesus anointed by the strange woman in the last chapter. Most scholars agree that Jesus would have looked like this the man there on the right. He has a crown of thorns, but he doesn't look like a king because he's got crap all over him. In fact, just before the election, he had been beaten and spit upon in the house of the high priest. He would have literally been covered in human excretia. This is how Jesus' anointed looked when they took the vote. 
And we're pretty sure that this is how Jesus Barabbas looked when they took the boat. Now, not all scholars agree on this. Some think that he looked more, more like this. Now, of course, you know I'm joking because they did not have flash photography in Jesus' day. So they had to draw a portrait of someone in order to capture someone's image. So all scholars agree that he actually did look like this. See, John refers to Barabbas as a laestes. Laestes comes from the root word to take or to win. It was used to refer to religious zealots or insurgents that tried to take the kingdom by force. Luke records that Barabbas was in prison for insurrection. See, it appears that Barabbas was a revolutionary who was opposed, dramatically opposed, to taxation without representation and the impressive rule of old King Caesar. Matthew calls him notorious which can also be translated noteworthy. It can be a very positive turn. He was a, a popular revolutionary commander. And now some of you are thinking, yeah, okay, fine, Peter, but George Washington was not a king. That's right. In America, we vote for king, and then we call him president. Well, king or president, in this world, we expect them to legislate. To legislate is to enact laws, which are the knowledge of good and evil. We expect them to make laws and then enforce those laws with threats of punishment in order to protect what? Our rights. That's what it means to be free. To have rights, to claim your, your rights. That's, that's what we say. This is the land of the free. That's what we say. We Americans, we Americans are free. Well, Barabbas represents the principalities and powers of this world. I think Barabbas is the kind of king they all wanted Jesus to be on Palm Sunday. I mean, clearly a guy who raised the dead and could walk on water had the power to pull off an insurrection, wouldn't, wouldn't you think? But instead of leading an insurrection against Rome, he's getting himself crucified. Barabbas would never let himself be crucified, allow himself to be crucified uh, voluntarily. And so some think that maybe Barabbas looked like uh, Mohammed. Some think that maybe Barabbas looked like uh, Moses. You, you know, Islam is a religion of law that basically rejects uh, the historical Jesus. Why? Because he was covered in poop and he let himself be crucified. Judaism, much of Judaism anyway, also uh, re re rejects the historical Christ. Why? Because he was covered in poop and he let himself be crucified. And much of modern Christianity also rejects the historical Christ. Why? Because he was covered in poop and he let himself be crucified. You see, I think the, the crowd, they were looking for like a left behind Jesus, kind of uh, like this guy. And it's ironic because in the last chapter, Jesus stood before the, the high priest and he said, from now on, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds in glory. From now on. That means he's been coming on the clouds for like 2,000 years. And that means as he stood before Pilate, he had been coming on the clouds for, for like 2,000, or he was coming on the clouds right there at that moment, but they didn't see it because they must not have understood what power is. They must not have understood what glory is. They must not have been able to recognize the king. 
It doesn't mean that you'll never see him coming like that, but he has been coming like that. And so if you spend all your time arguing over that old Jerusalem with the stone walls and standing out in the field, staring up in the sky, uh, waiting for Jesus to come on the clouds of heaven, it means that maybe you are already left behind. And now I hope I've offended the hell out of you. <laughs> Literally. All of us. Why? Because we all vote for Barabbas. We the people vote for the principalities and powers of this world. In other words, Eve takes the knowledge of good and evil to make herself in the image of God. In other words, Jerusalem is a whore who elects to crucify her groom. But her groom is God who elects to make her his bride. But we all vote for Barabbas. Why? We all vote for Barabbas because we think that he can save us and set us free. And this is what we mean by salvation and what we mean by free. This is you, okay? And this is your will. We think it's a free will when we will what we want and go wherever we, we will. The only problem is that my will, here I am, my will can bump into your will. And when that happens, the one who gets his way is called the master. And the one who has to surrender his way or surrender his will is called the slave. And so that's why we vote for presidents and kings and Barabbas, because they promise to enact laws. The laws are like boxes. They're like boxes that protect your will from my will and protect my will uh, from, from, from your will. If I violate your box, then, then we expect the king uh, to, to shrink my box, <laughs> to take away some of my rights. You see, moving around in this box as I want, woo-hoo-hoo, I'm moving around. We call that free will. And inside the box, we, we call that area, uh, I refer to it as my rights. And claiming my rights and moving around inside of my box, then I call free will. It's ironic. It's just ironic. Because you see, the, the very thing that I turn to in order to protect my freedom also limits my freedom and enslaves me. And I call this salvation. The box. It's like a walled city. The walls are meant to protect and to save the citizens, but in the end, the walls trap the citizens, turning the city into a prison, a living hell, just like Jerusalem would turn into a living hell 40 in 40 years because she did not know the time of her visitation. She elected Barabbas. We love, I love, to draw boxes. And I vote for kings to draw more boxes. I love the boxes because it means that I don't have to put up with your poop. And I can pretend I'm free. But I'm not free to love. And love is life. 
And after a while, gosh, I just begin to feel incredibly alone. We Americans think that we're better than the Russians because we're better at drawing boxes. But we're still just drawing boxes. We Christians tend to think that we're better than the Muslims because we're better at drawing boxes. But we're still just drawing boxes. In the Old Testament, God even helps Moses uh, and the people to draw boxes. It's like he says, you want boxes? You want the knowledge of good and evil? You want boxes? Oh, I'll give you boxes. I'll give you so many. You're going to choke on the boxes. Read Leviticus. It's like paint by numbers. You see all the boxes? It imitates the beautiful thing, but it's not the beautiful thing. And the boxes are so confining that they'll kill you. So not only do God's people build stone walls around Jerusalem, they build stone walls around their hearts. They vote for Jesus Barabbas and they condemn Jesus anointed. We call it free will. But you see, it's bad will. The people are enslaved by bad will and they think they are the box that they have chosen which means that each of them is their own deepest prison. Ironically, their free will is a prison, and they're utterly terrified of freedom. In other words, Jesus scares them. For until this day, they had never seen a man with such a free will. They could not, and we can barely even begin to conceive of his freedom. Think about it. It's, it's not the will of other people. It's not just the will of other people that we bump into. It's the will of God, and the will of God is called reality. So you are not free to just go walk on water or move a mountain. And yet Jesus walked on water. He turned water into wine. He could say to a mountain, move, and the mountain would move, as if reality were his, his will. That's some pretty freaking amazing free will, wouldn't you think? And yet it wasn't just the power of will, his will. It was the character of his will. For now that they saw that the man that raised the dead was choosing to die at the hands of his enemies in the most horrific way that that culture could possibly imagine. In other words, his will is love, and all reality cannot change it. All the principalities and powers of this world cannot change it. It terrified Pilate. He had never met a will that he could not change, a will that he could not break with scourgings and persecution and maybe even a cross. For in a few hours, Jesus would hang on the tree in the garden. The principles and powers would do their worst. Creation itself would deny him his life. Even his father would seem to have forsaken, and still he cried out, Father, forgive them, and into your hands I commit my spirit. Still, he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He loved us. Still, he chose the good, no matter the consequences. Jesus is free will. Jesus is the good free will of God in human flesh, even our flesh, our earthen vessel, covered in crap, our dark box. He was choosing from inside your box. Well, his body broke on the tree, and his blood spilled out, and that blood sets us free. All human words and all human explanations at this point 
fall short. Suffice it to say, Jesus is king, and you don't vote for king. But the king votes for you, and his will is absolutely free. Take another look, verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people, haleos, they answered, crying out, His blood be on us and on our children. His blood. Every week we come here to this place to do what? <laughs> Break his bread and drink his blood. His blood be on us and our children, said the people. Matthew one twenty one. God said to Joseph at the start of the book, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his haleos, the people, from their sins. How does he save the people from their sins? With his blood. And how does the blood save them? Well, for start, it breaks all the boxes. Do you remember what's poured out from the vessels of wrath in the Revelation, with which the wrath of God is finished? It's blood. It must come from that lamb standing on the throne. It's the same stuff that poured out of Jesus on the cross as he cried out, it is finished. And do you remember what happened to the stone walls of Jerusalem 40 years after Jesus died? They were literally plowed into the ground by Romans as Jesus had prophesied. And do you remember what John sees descending from heaven in the Revelation? The new Jerusalem. Listen closely. Adorned as a bride for her husband. Her gates are never shut by day, and it's always day in the city. And so all Israel will be saved, writes Paul. All Israel and all that have died in Adam. We don't know how long some may weep and gnash their teeth in outer darkness before they surrender their will to God's will, but they will surrender their will. For God has willed it, and his will is absolutely free. So the good news now is that you can surrender now. You can be free now. We don't vote for king, but the king votes for us, and then we do vote for king. But we know that our vote is a gift. In other words, it's free. It's free of the box that I think is me, my pride. See, I think we can barely even begin to imagine how free the Lord wills us to be, but, but we can begin. We can begin to imagine. Two very, very good friends can begin to imagine. A mom or a dad with their little child can begin to imagine. A bride and a groom in communion in the sacrament of their covenant, covenant they, they, they begin to imagine. So you can begin to imagine what it would be like if there was a communion of wills rather than the construction of, of boxes. So get rid of the boxes and imagine what it would be like if, if there was a, a communion of wills. It would be like instruments that, that harmonize um, in a symphony. You see, the different instruments, they don't make war, 
they make music like Vincent Colbert and the band. Uh, imagine what it would be like if the bride's will actually enjoyed submitting to the groom's will. And the groom's will actually enjoyed submitting to the bride's will. will. That, I, I mean, that, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be um, rape. <laughs> that would be ecstasy. And it might just result in life. If I was Vincent van Gogh, I could draw that better. And imagine what it would be like if all our wills were in harmony, such that we each willed what all willed, and all willed what each willed, and willed that each and all would in fact will. Imagine a communion of wills in communion with the Creator's will. Maybe we'd paint the beautiful thing or be the beautiful thing. There it is. It's good you were anticipating that, right? The beautiful thing. But you see, it would not then be paint by numbers. We would be the manifestation of like six billion dancers, each animated by one song, which each heard in the depths of their being, and then freely willed into existence as ecstatic joy. We together would be the beautiful thing. We would be God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, or maybe dance in them. We would walk in them, we would dance in them, and it wouldn't be by bondage, but absolute freedom. Why? Because we would will God's will as if it were our own will, and it were our will. Just imagine if God's will were our will, and our will were God's will, then reality itself would bend to each of our wills. But none of us would be trapped in our own reality like a madman is trapped in his own visions of grandeur, his delusions. We'd all exist in one reality produced by our harmony of wills in God's will, an absolutely free will, kind of like this. Nice place you got here. No, 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 no. Nice place you got here. Me? Sure, you're making all of this. See, we're all pretty insecure at first, so we see ourselves somewhere safe, comforting. We all paint our own surroundings, Chris, but you're the first guy I know to use real paint. Oh, you go, boy! Can I make a dive? You're the painter now! It's your world! I didn't do that. No, I did. See, when we're together, it's like dual controls. It's real. Where's all the paint? You don't need it anymore. This is your world now. Up till now, you've been painting your own world. This is mine. In our city across the river, we have to have a common vision. The city is a harmony of wills united by a common vision. The New Jerusalem is a city, and the city is a bride.
The city is comprised of people, but none of them are closed vessels like black boxes. None of them are closed vessels. They are all open vessels like blood vessels through which flows a common life, united by a common vision of Jesus, the King, our husband. The man in that film clip is named Christy. He's just arrived in heaven, but it turns out his bride is stuck in her own hell, her own dark box because she won't forgive herself. Her will is divided against itself. See, heaven is nonstop forgiving which means nonstop letting or nonstop uh, allowing. Heaven is nonstop forgiving, but she won't forgive herself, and so she's trapped in her own bad will, in her own dark box, where she weeps and gnashes her teeth alone in outer darkness. She's trapped until Christy, or Christy, her husband, descends into her hell and chooses to commune with her in hell such that her will becomes his will and his will becomes her will. They die together, then they rise together. The beautiful thing in a new creation filled with, beautiful, with beauty, which is the beautiful free will of God was just a, a silly movie and they're trying to imagine real freedom my point is that when we uh, idolize our own supposed free will we imprison ourselves in bad will until Christ descends into our hell and gives us his will until he gives us faith by grace, and this faith not of ourselves. See, the whole point of the doctrine of election is not that you are elected and someone else is not elected, and it's not that you are elected because you elected to be elected, which means you're not really elected. The whole point of the doctrine of election is that you are not the elector. You're the elected. And when you see that you are the elected, then you're free to elect. You're free to love as you have been loved. You're free to love in freedom. The laos of God, the people of God, are the elect of God. God makes this abundant that they're the elect, not the elector, the elect. God makes this abundantly clear throughout the entire Old Testament. The point is not that they elected God, but God elected them, and this through no merit of their own. This point will now become painfully, wonderfully obvious and clear on Good Friday, for they not only did not elect God on Good Friday, they elected to crucify God. But their rejection of God only reveals the election of God. And they all cry out, His blood be on us and on our children. Nothing, 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 absolutely nothing is stronger than the election of God, who is the will of God, our Lord Jesus the Christ in flesh. And there is no greater beauty than the wonder-working power of his blood. The doctrine of election is the sum of the gospel, writes Karl Barth, because of all the words that can be said or heard, it is the best, that God elects humanity, that God is for humanity too, the one who loves in freedom. We do not elect the king, but the king elects us that we would elect him in freedom. In other words, we don't choose the king, but the king chooses 
us so that we would choose him in freedom. Not proud of our choice, but grateful for our choice and therefore free. As John puts it, we love because he first loved us. The king is our husband. Wayne Rice used to tell a story. I don't know if, if it's true, but I read, I read somewhere that, it, that it's true. Back in the 1800s, a young Englishman, he, he went to California uh, hoping to find his fortune prospecting for gold, and after several months, he did. On his way back to England, he traveled through New Orleans. As he was walking through New Orleans, he uh, heard a crowd. He saw a crowd all looking in one direction. He heard the word sold as he walked up to the crowd and saw on the platform a, a black man in chains and someone leading him off the platform. And next he saw a beautiful young girl. She was pushed up onto the platform and made to walk, well, even luridly around the platform so all the mid could see the the bidding began it began over the sound of vile jokes and comments that betrayed the wicked intentions of the men in that crowd just before the final call this young miner he yelled out a a, a bid a price that was exactly twice of the previous bid more than any man in that on that platform had was worth or, or had been purchased for the crowd just began to laugh in derision the girl walked down the steps of the platform until she was eye to eye with the miner she spat straight in his face and then with clenched teeth she said, I hate you. Without a word, the miner wiped his face, paid the auctioneer, took the girl by the hand, and walked off the platform and away from the still laughing crowd. He seemed to be looking for something in particular as he dragged her through New Orleans by the, by the arm as they walked up one street down another. Finally, he stopped in some sort of store. The girl didn't know what kind of store it was, but she saw the miner arguing with the clerk inside and then dumping the rest of his bag of gold on the counter. When he walked out of the store, she looked away, but the miner held out his hand and he said to the girl, here are your manumission papers. You're free. The slave girl didn't look up. He said, these papers mean you're free. Take them. I hate you. Don't, don't tease me, she, she whimpered. I'm not, he answered. The girl looked at the papers. Then she looked up at him, and she said, you, you just bought me. And now you're setting me free? The young man looked at her and he said, that's why I bought you, to set you free. And then at that, as the story goes, she dropped to the ground on her knees, weeping, sobbing, and finally she grabbed the miner's old uh, muddy boots and through tears, looking up into his face, she said, all I want to do, all I will to do, is serve you. He elected her, and then she elected him in freedom. Now, I don't know if that story is, is true, but it would be true if 
the minor were the king. And if the slave girl were a harlot, and if she didn't just hate the minor but crucified the king, and so the king didn't just pay with gold but with blood, his, his own lifeblood, it would be true if Jesus were the minor and you were the girl. For that's the way Jesus chooses you and sets you free to choose him too. So, at the very beginning of the very day that the people elected Jesus Barabbas, Jesus Messiah elected the people. And nothing is stronger than his choice. For he is actually God's choice that creates all things. In other words, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Now, I had some pretty strong opinions about the last election. But if I'm true to the gospel, I need to say this. I don't think it really matters who you choose to be king. As long as you believe that the king has chosen you. For then you will choose him too. With every breath you take and every move you make. The thing that changes the world is not kings, not programs, not institutions, not the knowledge of good and evil, not laws and boxes, including religious boxes and religious kings like pastors and preachers and evangelists. The thing that changes the world is not earthly kings, not earthly governments, not programs. The thing that changes the world is free will. The free will of God. Welling up in you. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a smile that's not scripted. It sounds like a kind word that is not paint by number. It sounds like a heartfelt and a sincere, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, or Father, forgive them, or into your hands I commit my spirit. You can't change the world by demanding rights and creating boxes. The world changes when your box is destroyed. The world changes when your heart of stone cracks and through it begins to flow a fountain that you did not create. The world changes when your heart surrenders to the election of love. And so listen closely, my dear. You have been chosen and paid for with blood. So come to the table. Amen. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the rock you are the Word of God. You are the will of God. We wondered what God was up to, and it's you. And on Good Friday, you revealed that the will of God is absolutely good. And on Easter, 
you rose from the dead, revealing that the will of God is all-powerful. And so, Lord God, we thank you that your word is Jesus, that what you mean is Jesus, and that we are destined to inherit all things in him. In his name we thank you. Amen. You know, we do all this arguing about free will and predestination. I think this is what the Bible is saying. You are predestined for free will. And free will is faith, hope, love. It's every good decision that a person could make. Another way of saying that is that you are predestined, and Paul clearly says this. <laughs> Nobody has the courage to believe it. You are freely and, pr pr and completely predestined to inherit all things. <laughs> believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer, members of the prayer team are down front here. They'd love to pray with you. And Friday, 7.30 and Easter, 10 a.m., invite your friends and neighbors, okay?